0: They are ancient words. The average Christian prays them every week in worship, and perhaps you pray them on your own. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.
1: The words roll out with rhythm, like they have been written on our hearts from the beginning of time.
0: They are spoken in every language, sung to many tunes. This Lent, at Second Presbyterian Church, we're taking our time with the Lord's Prayer, breaking it down week by week in a sermon series called Pray Then in This Way.
1: May this experience help you more fully embrace the prayer we already love.
0: I do believe that wherever two or three are gathered, even if it's virtually, God is there. God hears us when we call. So as I pray, I invite you, wherever you are, to join your hearts together with ours As we lift our prayers and petitions before God, let us pray. Our Lord God, we have no idea where we're going. We can't see the road ahead. We cannot know for certain how it will end, where it will go. And in this moment, we don't know how to predict what we'll do when we get there. But we are doing our best to follow your will, not because we know how to do this, but because we desperately want to do what is right. We want to love and care for our neighbors, even when that means we have to make personal sacrifices. We want to continue singing in praise of your steadfast love, even in the face of chaos. We want to respond to the needs of our community and world with generosity and compassion we want to make wise decisions to be good listeners people who don't just hear what we want to hear but hear what is true and respond faithfully we want to be people who live without fear who trust that you are present in all things because god you are present in all things you are faithful and you will lead us by the right road, though we may know nothing about it. Therefore, we will trust you always, though we feel lost, like we're living in the shadow. We trust that you will be with the sick. We trust that you will comfort all who are grieving. We trust that you will give strength to the weary. We trust that you will be a friend to all who are lonely. We trust that you will be with the medical community, giving wisdom and courage. Protect them and give them strength for the days ahead. We trust that you will be with our leaders as they are faced with difficult decisions and bear enormous responsibility. Give them clarity of mind and servant hearts. And give all of us patience as they navigate an unprecedented challenge. We trust that you will be with our community, that your love will be, as always, the foundation of our love for one another. Help us all to support each other, to use our time and energy to be creative about ways that we can show up for one another, even when we can't meet all together. As a community of faith, we will not fear, for you are with us, and you will never leave us to face our perils alone. Amen. Let's
1: seek the embrace of the arms of God. Let's pray. Holy God, touch us with your word of comfort and of hope. Speak to us through scripture and sermon and through the conversation of prayer that is guided by the prayer Jesus taught us. Amen. Hear these words from Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Matthew four seventeen, From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then Matthew 9, starting with verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, and the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The word of the Lord. Pray then like this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is it like in heaven? Many have imagined heaven in this way. After Saint Peter locates your name in the Book of Life and grants you entry through the pearly gates with the keys to the kingdom, you enter paradise. You go through the pearly gates. You enjoy the music of angels who use clouds as choir lofts. Talk about downloading your music from the cloud. You walk on streets paved with gold, and one street leads to the mansion in which you'll live for eternity. For evidently, in paradise, you live in isolation from your neighbors. And then there's this. You will finally get to see God. He's a man with flowing locks of gray, looking like a kind but strong grandfather. And he'll be sitting on his majestic throne, wearing a jeweled crown on top of his bearded head. And he might just invite you to sit with him for a bit on the smaller throne to his left or to his right. The details of this picture of heaven are so widely known that its locations have become familiar staging areas for jokes. I mean, how many jokes have you heard about approaching the throne of God or about trying to gain entrance through the pearly gates? A lot of them are about lawyers. (laughs) A lot of them are about preachers. But you've heard the one, haven't you, about the accountant who shows up at the pearly gates? Oh, never mind. A comic needs an audience, and I don't have one. Except for a few people who've been known not to laugh at some of my jokes. But if you haven't heard the one about the two dogs and the cat who appear before the throne of God, ask me to tell it the next time you see me. Only make sure that Millie's not there. She's heard it too many times. Now you can find other portrayals of heaven that are not so wrinkled from so much handling. I mean, Google descriptions of heaven and you'll find plenty but many of them will be based on the same assumption that is behind pearls and gold and mansions and jewels and an eternal life of leisure with music downloaded from the cloud. The assumption is this. You get in heaven what you most want on earth. I mean, that's what makes it heaven, right? God can't actually have a preference for gold over asphalt, dirt, or pine straw, so it has to be about us, what we want. Now, we already know that by God's grace that in heaven we don't get what we deserve, but we do expect to get what we desire. And then Jesus tells us to pray like this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that prayer sort of turns things upside down, doesn't it? Not my kingdom, God's. Not my will, what I want, but God's will be done. Not my desire for what I want there, but God's desire for what God wants here. For us to pray like this, we have to think of heaven as not being a place that is a fulfillment of our own fantasies. But think of heaven in the way that the Bible speaks of the kingdom of God as a realm where God gets what God desires of us and among us. Consider our passage from chapter four from Matthew's gospel. This is where Jesus begins both a sermon and a career with these words, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. And then in the very next chapter of Matthew, Jesus begins preaching the sermon on the Mount which is basically a description of the kingdom of heaven, what it's all about, what it looks like when we get it here, what it feels like when heaven comes here. I'm going to serve up tiny servings from the Sermon on the Mount, but feel free to put some of your time in isolation to good use and read the whole sermon in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew's gospel. Here is just some of what Jesus described. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is where the poor in spirit are blessed. It's where those who mourn find comfort. It is where those who hunger for food, but even more hunger for God, are filled. It is where those who are persecuted for the sake of what is right and what is true are vindicated. It is where those who show mercy and compassion receive it, where those who pray know God's presence. And it's where peacemakers are celebrated as children of God. The prophet Isaiah adds his own beatitude in saying, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring peace. Children no longer losing their parents and parents no longer losing their sons and daughters. No longer destruction being rained down upon our heads, on the heads of those who have weapons, on the heads of those who simply are in the way. Getting back to Jesus' sermon, he says, no, this is what heaven looks like. It's loving your enemy. It's praying for those who persecute you. And then he adds, so that we may be children of the Father in heaven. So that we may be children living now in the house of God. So what about this idea of heaven being a place of leisure? Oh my goodness. That is not the realm of God described by Jesus. No, he describes a heaven requiring much relational work. Be salt, be light in this world. Make some kind of witness in the way that you bring spiritual value to other people's lives. Jesus goes into challenging detail. He talks about praying for others, not praying for show. He talks about going the extra mile, adding the second garment to help the one who asked for just one garment to keep warm. He talks about not ignoring those whose need is obvious, like beggars. I could stop here and share my views about there being smart ways to help those asking for help and ways that are not smart, that perhaps the best way to support them is to support the ministries that have effective strategies in dealing with them. But strategy aside, let's not miss Jesus' simple point. Don't be blind to those in need. Jesus goes on in his sermon, he talks about justice being a sign of the kingdom. He goes far beyond justice being the court punishing those who commit crimes, though in the sermon he talks about punishments. But as the ancient prophets did, he goes past punishments and corrections to the beautiful end of justice, justice achieved, where the final word of justice is mercy. Its greatest expression is compassion and its most powerful Enforcement comes from the inner compulsion of love. Read through his Sermon on the Mount, and it's pretty obvious that when Jesus says, the kingdom of God is near, that those who hear him say it, do not look down the road or whatever road Jesus is standing down and see this distant dust cloud rising from a caravan of wagons bringing the pearls and gold and building materials needed to construct the heaven of popular imagination. But what if those who heard him say it were given the sight to look down a different road, the road of the life that Jesus was yet to live, a road that leads to the cross. They would see Jesus living what he teaches and preaches. They would come to a place, for instance, where thousands are hungry. The disciples want to isolate themselves. They ask Jesus to send the crowd away, but instead Jesus puts his followers to work, telling them to gather whatever loaves and fish that they can find so that the hungry can be fed. You would come to other places where he has conversations with those from whom people of Jesus' background and faith isolate themselves. That woman, that tax collector, that sinner, that centurion, Jesus speaks to them respectfully. Jesus eats with them. You would come to those places where Jesus might want to isolate himself. Why would he want to spend time with people who have power and authority, who seem to only want to argue with him, some of whom may even want to harm him? And yet Jesus doesn't give up on them. He engages them. And... You would come to those spots where he preaches and teaches about the weak and poor and condemned and sick having good news preached to them, brought to them. Given the current state of things in our world, I want to stop and linger at one particular place on that road when Jesus brings good news to the sick. It happens right after he preaches a Sermon on the Mount, right after Jesus preaches his sermon about what the kingdom looks like, and after explaining how it is relational, how it's about justice and compassion and mercy, he is put in a situation where he himself has to decide if he will practice what he preaches. I'll read what happens, and you'll have to excuse the past tense. When Jesus had come down from the mountain, having preached that sermon, great crowds followed him, and there was a leper who came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I choose. Be made clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And then Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. The word of the Lord. Today, we would say that the one that Jesus encounters has Hansen's disease. In Jesus' day, they are called lepers, and it is because of the way lepers were treated in Jesus' day that doctors no longer use that term. But I will stick to the term precisely because of its stigma. Lepers had a disease that people were terrified to catch. They were permanently denied access to others and were forbidden to be near crowds. And when approaching others, they had to yell, unclean, unclean, so no one would come near. They're called the walking dead. Talk about isolation. They have happened to them the opposite of what Jesus wants us to pray for. They have the hell of isolation coming to their life on earth. Now let me say right now that I am quite proud of how most all of us are doing what we have been advised to do, and that is to practice social distancing. Keep our distance from crowds. Keep special distance from each other, Wash constantly so as not to be unclean. And I'm also quite glad that instead of these tactics being ways that we are uncaring of each other, there actually are ways today of being loving and compassionate with each other. Still, it is striking that Jesus, in healing the leper, heals the untouchable with touch. Don't Take that literally, hear what is being said, heaven comes to earth because the leper who is most isolated and has reason to believe that he is beyond human connection is healed in a way that shows that he has connection with Jesus and through him a connection with God, heaven touching earth. Here's my message about asking for heaven to come to earth in this time of social distancing. Let's remember there is no heaven without others. God wants a beautiful place where the pearls are justice, where the gold is reconciliation, and neighborhoods are places not of isolation, but of reconciled harmony. If you want those treasures, Pray for them. And then be a part of heaven coming to earth by remaining connected to each other even during this time of physical separation. Call, write, run errands for those who can't run them for themselves because what we do not want to do after all is to make a sacrament of isolation. Mac McAnally, a country music artist, is one of my favorite songwriters. And as you would expect of a country music artist, his songs often tell stories, and those stories are often based on personal experience. Well, Mac's grandmother helped raise him, and she taught him and comforted him, was there for him when he was sick. She was a woman of deep faith, so some of what she taught him were the Bible stories and the church's hymns. Mac remembered visiting her when he knew that she was dying and confined to her bed. He was with her so she would not feel so alone. And he found himself returning to her the stories and hymns that she gave to him to remind her that God would never leave her alone. His song, Somewhere Nice Forever, is about one of those last visits with her, although in the song he casts his grandmother as his mother. Mama, I know that you're feeling low. Let's feel low together. The doctors say it's time to go somewhere nice forever. There won't be no leukemia. They're going to keep it out. They'll just be redeeming love like we sang about. And so the song goes. You can listen to it yourself online, but it continues focusing on the relationship that the son and the mother have had and on the relationship with God that came with the faith that she shared with him. Those relationships are the pearls and gold of his life. And the son doesn't want to leave them, so he says, Mom, it's hard to let you go. Promise when you get there to think about me here below, somewhere nice forever. And then you think the song is coming to an end. The music slows down. But all of a sudden, the son sings one more song to his mother, and you know that in the way he sings it, It's the way that she used to sing it to him. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Remember, that the song is about a mother based on Mac's memory of his being by his grandmother's bedside, repeating back to her the stories and hymns of comfort and hope that she taught him. I suggest to you that what she did for him when he was young and what he then did for her when she was about to be young again, being there for each other, is a glimpse of a prayer being answered, of heaven touching earth. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we may be, as they say, socially distanced, but let there be no separation in our love, in our concerns, in our prayers, and in the ways that we say personally, if not physically, in the way that we stay connected to each other, and to those who are, for whatever reason, isolated in our world. To paraphrase a movie I love, Spanglish, let there be no distance between you and me, but let heaven touch earth. So let there be no distance between you and me, but let's embody the kingdom of God. And go knowing that the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is with you now and always. Amen.
0: Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.